Amen. Thank you very much, Kay. Well, this morning, because I'm an optimist, I like to think that you're going to get value for money, because I'm going to preach on a, a couple of passages, and really, I feel like my word this morning could actually be three different words, but uh, don't worry, it, uh, it's only going to take the length of two. Um, but I, I feel like you know, they, I want to share a few things that um, in the great season that we've been having over the past few weeks of praying for us as a, a church, really, there are a couple of passages that God's put on my heart, and uh, and I think they're kind of really linked. And in a sense, it carries on from Clive's message a couple of weeks ago, talking about the difference between members and disciples. So I'm going to look first in John chapter 6, really to, um, to set the context for some more practical things I want to say later on, and just to uh, look again at this contrast between members and disciples from a slightly different perspective. And we're going to look at a couple of verses in the book of Hebrews to really help us understand practically what discipleship looks like in a church context. So first going to briefly look at John chapter 6 and going to read from verse 53. So Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life and flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Like I said, I kind of... um, don't really have time this morning to do this passage justice, but I want to just kind of make a few observations really by way of setting the context for what we're going to go on to look at in the book of Hebrews. For me, this passage is another demonstration of what Pastor Clive was speaking about a couple of weeks ago, about the difference between members and disciples. And I guess in this passage, actually, we, we um, it's like everyone is called disciples, and what we see is a difference between disciples by name and disciples by attitude and by action. So although um, they're called disciples, and it talks about many of his disciples turning back and no longer following him, uh, it kind of feels like the term is being used quite loosely here. I think the fact that these people were offended and uh, walked away from Jesus um, and that Jesus didn't go after them suggests they were never really following him in the, the first place. So just to explain, uh, this passage follows on from the feeding of the 5,000 at the start of John chapter 6. And then we kind of go on in John 6 and read about Jesus walking on the water. And then he comes back and he goes on to teach the people about the importance of believing in him. And the people respond and say, what miraculous sign are you going to show us? You know, Moses, he, he kind of gave the people manna from heaven. He demonstrated that God was with him, bread from heaven. And Jesus responds and says, I am the bread from heaven. Eat me and you won't die. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And it says that the people were, uh, some people were offended and left him at this time. And I think kind of one of the things this passage demonstrates is that people can be attracted to Jesus and drawn to Jesus for a number of reasons. And it's really important, I think, that we understand this call to discipleship. 
The call is to discipleship. When people are drawn to Jesus, and people are drawn for all sorts of reasons, that we help them understand that, yeah, it's great that you feel like Jesus can meet your needs and Jesus can help you, and he's got some great teaching about him. But the call is to discipleship and uh, to, to put our whole lives on the altar before him. It seems um, also that the crowds here were suffering from wrong thinking and saying to, and saying to Jesus, can you imagine, well, what are you going to do? Come on, impress us. Show us a trick. Show us what you're about. Prove to us that you are somebody special. And I guess, you know, at this time, there is a context of, of kind of hearing about, oh, the Messiah has come, of new religious movements and um, kind of people getting ready for something. So it's not unnatural to ask, well, how do, you, how do I know you're not just another kind of new sect or new religious nut? But listen, it's really important that we understand it is not for God to prove himself to us. It's not for God to prove himself to us. Jesus made it very clear, you need to believe in me, not in my miracles, but to believe in me. And then we go on and we see that uh, Jesus challenges the, the people about their offense. The people are offended and are scandalized by what Jesus says. It doesn't look like what they were thinking. And I guess um, for, 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 uh, for anybody, but for Jewish people in particular, this talk of eating flesh and drinking blood is particularly um, scandalous and offensive. And so some people are offended and they walk away. You know, in some senses, the, the kind of flesh and the blood isn't the key issue here. The issue is about how people are going to respond to Jesus. And I think it's really interesting. Jesus doesn't chase after the crowds who leave him. Jesus doesn't run after them and say, come back, let me explain some more. Let me unpack it some more for you. Jesus was never about gathering crowds. Jesus was always about making disciples. He knew that the Father's will was that he wouldn't lose anyone who the Father had given to him. And I think this probably gave him confidence to bring some hard teaching. Jesus wanted to make disciples and to gather people who can be multiplied. Membership cannot be multiplied. If we have a membership model then actually it's a, it's a really bad thing, isn't it, when people walk away and when people leave because you need to keep up the membership. You need to keep up the, the role. When you're trying to add members, it is not good when people leave. But when you're trying to make disciples and you're trying to multiply disciples, then actually the situation looks different. And for me, this membership versus discipleship issue in John 6 boils down to one question. Do we want to be a recipient or a participant? Do we want to be a recipient or a participant? So the people were happy to receive from Jesus. They were happy to receive the bread and the fish when he fed the 5,000. They were happy to receive some, some good teaching even. But when Jesus asked them to, to stand up and demanded something of them that they participate in him, when he asked something of them, they walked away. And it's interesting, uh, you may know that the feeding of the 5,000 is the, the one account that features in all four of the, the Gospels. And in Luke's version of the feeding of the 5,000, it tells us it's the 12, Jesus' 12, his apostles who were distributing the food. The others, the crowd here, those who were offended, were clearly among those who were receiving it. But Jesus challenges them to step up to the next Level And it's not necessarily about, you know, serving or being on a rotor for dishing out bread or fish or anything like that, but participating in him, of appreciating that it's not just about, um, you know, doing certain things or receiving certain things. We need to give our lives to Jesus, of believing that Jesus is God's provision for them. And it didn't look like they were expecting and they were offended and they walked away. The 12 didn't. Why didn't the 12 walk away? Well, I think they recognized they couldn't do this themselves. Peter says, doesn't he? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? 
And if, if, if plowing your own, for, own furrow, if kind of going our own way, if doing our own thing is still an option that we're open to, then we can walk away. But if, like those disciples, we recognize, I can't do this any other way. I am lost without God's help. Well, where else can we go? What other option? What other alternative have we got? Not just that Jesus has got good things for me, but I am lost without him. And so the the question remains, do we want to be a member or a disciple? Do we want to be a recipient or do we want to be a willing participant? Like I said, that's just a really quick whistle-stop tour through that passage, just some observations, really by way of setting some context, because I really want to look at what this looks like in our church and in a church. What does a church of participants look like? What does a culture of discipleship and not just membership look like? What does it look like to participate in the life of Christ together? And to do that, I want to look at, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. going to read from uh, verse 7 through to verse 17. It says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but their bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to, meet the, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. There, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I want to particularly look at verse 7 and verse 17 that seem particularly relevant to this question of being disciples and not just members. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So just to explain for those who don't know, the book of Hebrews was written by an, uh, an unknown author, to a group mainly of Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews. And they were people who were undergoing persecution and struggling and being tempted, like those disciples we read about in John 6, to walk away from it, to say, this is hard, this is hard. And the writer of Hebrews does, as as God so often does, comes with some words of encouragement, of hope, and also some words of challenge and Uh, obedience. And it's a fantastic book for showing the connection and the contrast between the Old and the New Testament. And so here in chapter 13, uh, the the kind of last book of these letters, I think think it was Ben who once described it, often it feels like the any other business, doesn't it? You know, here's a few other things that we didn't get through. Um, But here, um, it kind of shows us there's clearly some tension between the people and the leaders And it seems like there's some sort of false teaching that's kind of crept in to the church. And in these two verses here, we find practical actions, not just for for disciples or for followers or, you know, those who are part of the the congregation, for want of a better expression, but also for leaders. And I think it's, it's kind of great practical wisdom. And like I said, that passage in John 6, but also these verses in, in Hebrews 13 have been on my heart a lot while we've been praying for our church over the past few weeks 
and months. And, uh, and so in our ambition to be a church of disciples rather than just members, and to be a church of disciple makers, there are real rich pickings of, of practical principles and actions for us in here. So I'm going to look um, at a couple of things. In a moment, I'm going to come on and look at instructions for leaders. But first, I want to highlight four things where, uh, which are instructions for disciples. And the first thing is about being intentional about our Christian life. Being intentional about our Christian life. In verse 7, there are two uh, imperatives that really strike me where the writer says, remember and consider. And I'm going to come on to the, the specific context in a minute, but just these two words are really important actions generally for us. Remember, consider. I think it's really helpful. Let me uh, encourage you to do this right now. Let's reflect on our walk with God. How's it going? Am I growing? Am I doing by faith? Does my life look different uh, than it did a year ago? Have I made progress with God from where I was a year ago? You know, sometimes personal spiritual growth comes by the sovereign will of God, just for no other reason than kind of God's proactive and intentional Suddenly, we find it easier to read the Bible, and we have something about us, and it's, we can't take any credit for it. It's just God's grace. But, you know, often, it, beca- it comes because we get to a moment where we stop, and we reflect on our life, and we say, how is this going? And we come to a place of, of dissatisfaction. I remember when I became a, a Christian, you know, I think I probably spent about the first year of being a Christian just, you know, coasting along. It was kind of like a little add-on going to church with a little add-on to my existing life. And after about a year, suddenly I kind of, I, I, I remember, I don't know why this thought came to me. I remember being in, uh, in Norwich City Centre. I was living in Norwich at the time. It wasn't just a random, you know, pilgrimage to Norwich or anything like that. And just suddenly really struck, you know what, life is serious. You know, my life is serious. My relationship with God is serious. The lives of these people around me matters. I can't just play at being a Christian. That place of, of kind of reflection, of, of saying, oh, what am I doing with my life, really helped me to make progress in my Christian life. So it's important that we reflect, that we remember, that we consider. Does my situation reflect my status? You know, James talks about the Word of God being a mirror to our lives. You know, am I reflecting in my life what I see in the mirror of the Word? I think there's something here about, about kind of observing. There's that famous line from Sherlock Holmes where, you know, Sherlock Holmes sees all these things and, and, and Watson says, oh, I, I, I didn't see that. And, you know, Sherlock Holmes says to him, well, the problem, Watson, is you see, but you do not observe. You know, you, you kind of see it physically, but you, there's no inner process there in reflecting and thinking about it. I think there's something about Jesus 12 where they didn't just, you know, come along and kind of make some notes and learn from what he was saying. They learned from his life and they reflected on it and talked to him about it. They learned from him and what he was doing. He helped them to get it. So reflection, remembering, considering. I think there's something about disciples that disciples are content, but they're never satisfied. You know, Paul encourages us to be content in all situations and all circumstances. That doesn't mean we have to be satisfied with where our life is at. Reflection is really important about reflecting on where we are now to help us to think about where do we want to go. If we don't know where we are, we can't plan where to go. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving to my brother's house in Norwich, and they just built this new road, and I was kind of using the sat-nav on my phone, and uh, they just built this new road, and so I was kind of going up this new road, and suddenly my phone started kind of beeping, and alarms started going off, because the sat-nav didn't recognize it. it thought I was driving through a field, and, uh, and it just kind of started making all sorts of horrible noises, but consequently, it, it struggled to get me to my lo- location, because it didn't know where I was, and if you don't know where you are, well, how can you plan how to get where you want to go? And there's something like that in our Christian life as well. If we don't understand where we are now, well, how can we plan how we're going to make progress and get to where we want to be? And you know what? In a church context, cell leaders really help with this. You know, often um, 
So, uh, you know, it's not unusual for me to kind of reflect quite a lot and to think, you know, to have observations and to have thoughts. And I find it really helpful sometimes just to talk to Clive and say, Clive, here's something that I've been thinking really uh, recently. Is that, you know, can, can you tell me, am I being discerning or am I being judgmental? Because, you know, there's a fine line between the two. Or what do you think? Is this, is this right? Am I on the right track here? Or just, you know, if we're, if we're stuck, how do we make progress? So being intentional about our Christian life, reflecting, remembering, considering. You know, in my notebook that I use, I obviously have notes from kind of things other people have said and notes from talks and things in cell. But I also have notes from, you know, what I'm reading and uh, what I'm praying about and what God's saying to me and um, just, you know, my Bible study and, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting and I'm observing. So that's the first thing about being intentional about our Christian life. The second thing and the immediate context of remember and consider that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is about leaders. So that brings us to our second point, imitate leaders. It says in verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, here in verse 7, most uh, commentators, Bible commentators, suggest that the leaders in question here are are like the kind of original leaders for the people. They're the people who led them to faith and maybe now who have passed away. They were the people that God used to bring these people to, to saving faith. So there's this sense here of, you know, these people kind of started you on a good journey and you've wavered off from that course. You need to kind of come back, remember how you started. That same sense that Paul speaks about in Galatians 5, you were running a good race. Who cut you up? and kept you from obeying the truth. So the context in verse 7 is, seems to be about former leaders, but in verse 17 where he goes on to speak about the authority of leaders, then their current leaders is um, more clearly in view. But I think these verses highlight that the importance of that reflection and that analysis we've just been talking about. Not just imitate your leaders, because you know, we've probably all heard stories about people who uh, have kind of learned how to preach from someone and they kind of have the same affectations or the same mannerism. They've literally just kind of imitating the person that they've learned from. But it talks about uh, imitate their faith. So it's not just doing what you see your leaders doing, but understanding why they are doing it. Imitate their faith. Understand the, the reason and the motivation so that you know, the situation may be different, and we're never going to be in exactly the same situation. But actually, the faith principle is understood and can be applied in that situation. And I think for me here, there's something really important about how, who we allow to be our leaders and to disciple us. So, you know, the context I'm speaking to today is very much about church. What does it look like in a church context? Um, about what does it look like to be a church of disciples and not members. But the reality is, some people, some Christians aren't discipled by leaders in a church. They're discipled by their favorite Christian author or you know, their favorite podcast or somebody they watch on Christian television. And you know what? You can learn some really helpful, useful things from all of those sources. But the challenge is, you can't observe the outcome of their way of life. You can't see what it looks like in their life. So, for example, you can, you can read a book about some great biblical parenting principles, for example, you know, how to discipline your children, all sorts of things like that. The problem is you can't see the children. You can't see whether they're rounded and robust children who've got a heart and a passion for God, who are empowered to pursue God, or actually whether they're harangued and browbeaten by disciplinarian, over-authoritarian parents. You can't see the outcome of the way of life. You know, when, when Caroline and I first had children, or, you know, um, probably when we were pregnant with Lucy, we didn't think, okay, who have we heard do a really great talk about parenting? We looked around at the children in the church, and we said, you know what, we would be happy if our children turned out like that. Let's go and talk to them about what, they did. We need to be able to see the outcome of that way of life. And so it's really important that our leaders are in our life and not just on our bookshelf or on our television or on our iPod. It's really important that we have a relationship 
with those leaders, to be able to understand and discuss. What? I'm really interested. Why did you do it like that? Why did you do that? How did you kind of respond in that situation? To be able to see their life and how they are living. If we want to be people like that, we need to see it in other people's lives. If we want to be, we need to see. And for us, cells really, as a church, cells really facilitate that. The one pastor for 200 people model doesn't allow that. I know Sally, you know, often feeds a multitude in her kitchen, but actually she struggles to fit us all in, I think. But the one pastor for all the people model doesn't enable this kind of personal discipleship. And it's really important that we get to know our cell leader. Let me encourage you, invite yourself round for tea and hang out. In our experience, where discipleship works best, it's where disciples have been in the cell leaders' lives and not just in their cell meetings. And actually, where, where people are really proactive in, in kind of pursuing that, where, where people, cell members, people, the disciples, uh, really kind of make that happen, are proactive in making that happen. Where there is a relationship just beyond some kind of church structure. So that's the second thing. Firstly, be intentional about our Christian life. The second thing is about imitating leaders. The third thing is obey and submit to the authority of leaders. Now, let's be honest. This is the bit where we can all start feeling a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? You know, I think it's often one of those things that people listening feel uncomfortable. It's often where leaders feel a bit uncomfortable. It can sound a bit kind of overbearing and a bit uncomfortable using some of this language. It can feel a bit authoritarian. And it's why it's really helpful that it's in the Bible and not just some point that I've dreamed up off the top of my head. It's in the Bible, which is why we are talking about it. And sometimes you speak to people who say, oh, well, you know what, I don't need a leader. I just need Jesus. And they say, well, that's a really nice idea. But what happens when Jesus comes along and says in his word, obey your leaders and submit to their authority? We can only fulfill the word of God actually, if we have people in our lives who are uh, in a position of leadership. But it can be a, a sort of challenging thing to talk about. Let's be honest. On the whole, most people are not naturally kind of submissive. I am not naturally submissive. You know, at the heart of sin is the attitude that says, I know best, isn't it? Now, obviously, I do know best, but it's, it's so easy to have that attitude. It's the, it's, it's the kind of natural, deceptive, fallen, sinful human heart that says, I'm in charge. This is our natural inclination. And, and so it's important that we're aware of that. And I, I think it's also important that we are, are honest. You know, um, some people are, are anxious about this kind of thing because, you know, maybe we've heard of, of kind of abuses of power or being on the receiving end of that in the past. But you know what? Last year, 186,000 people were injured in road accidents in the UK. There are car accidents we still get in cars. In last year, there were over a million incidents of food poisoning in the UK. We still eat foods. You know, often over time, people get hurt in relationships. We still have relationships. So the possibility of an abuse of power should not stop us doing the right thing. Just because things can go wrong doesn't mean we have to get it wrong. Now, there seems to be an expectation from the writer of Hebrews that these are leaders who are speaking the word and exercising faith and living lives worthy of imitation. And we'll come on to those things in a minute. Um, And it's really interesting. The writer, he doesn't use like a positional word. He doesn't talk about elders or overseers. He just talks about leaders, so people who have got a place of influence in our lives. But the word to me, notwithstanding whether those things are there or not, is that I need to obey my leaders and submit to their authority. So what does that look like? Let me give us some practical examples of what um, this looks like. And I think maybe this is helpful if you haven't been around in our our church for a while, that we have a certain culture um, of kind of how we do things, and um, maybe we're not always the best at explaining that. But one of the things we do is we talk about big decisions with our cell leaders. You know, if we want to start going out with somebody, uh, you know, if we're sort of young and single and free, actually that's the sort of thing we talk about with our cell leaders and our church leaders. You know, before we think, do you know what, I'm going to move to Luxembourg 
That's the sort of thing we talk to our cell leaders about. You know, we're making big decisions about our family and our job. Not because, uh, you know, that we, we um, kind of can't hear from God ourselves or anything like that. It's really useful to have uh, that check. It's really used to have an, useful to have an external perspective. It says, the writer of Proverbs in 15.22, it says that plans fail for lack of counsel. So in our church, kind of one of the ways that we uh, express this verse is talking to our cell leaders about big decisions. Uh, you know, yes, about kind of sort of ministry and about understanding the Bible and things like that, but just about practical things. And I think it's interesting. It's, for, for me, it's no accident. There was, you know, there was a big kind of revival of interest, really, in, in kind of personal pastoring in the, the 1970s. And it kind of came at this, the same time as a, a sort of fresh understanding about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God affects not just what we do on a Sunday morning, but it affects every part of our lives. The kingdom of God is about how we are in our workplace. The kingdom of God is about how we are at home. And, uh, and for me, the two strongly go together. So that's kind of one of the ways in which we apply this, this principle of submission and uh, obedience. I think the principle of obedience and submission also shapes how we pray. I think I've shared this before, but one of the most helpful explanations for me about this was when I was talking to somebody in, uh, in Clive's team, and he was saying, you know, Clive had sort of asked us, oh, if anybody is, uh, is, is up for doing this thing, then let me know. And he was saying, you know, at that point, well, I, you know, I, I might pray about it, and I'm, you know, open to God saying, hey, you need to do this. But you know, God needs to really speak to me and ask me to do that. And then about a week later, uh, Clive went up to this individual and said, do you know, would you consider doing this thing? And asked him personally. And the person said, you know, at that point, I'm no longer looking for God to say, to come in and say yes. I'm, open, I'm opening the door for God to say no. Yeah, so the default is, okay, it's not just a general request there. My pastor's asked me to do something. And so my default is, well, I'm going to do this unless God intervenes and says something otherwise. It changes the, the default. One of the things that really um, helped me in this, I remember many years ago when I was working for uh, a missionary organization when I was a student worker here in Newcastle, and I'd been asked to go on a mission trip to uh, overseas. And I really didn't want to go on this trip. And I kind of came up with all sorts of uh, reasons why I shouldn't go, and you know, oh, my call is to be here in Newcastle, and the students of Newcastle, all that sort of thing. But ultimately, I had to go. And but just in that kind of process of me uh, being submissive and actually kind of uh, responding to the authority of those above, above me, God really broke something in me in that trip. He really broke something in terms of pride and arrogance that that you can only recognize when you look back and see how, how you were. But it was a really significant thing that actually in that process of responding and by faith submitting and being obedient, God helped change my heart to make it an easier process for me. So we need to obey and submit to the authority of leaders. This is a basic requirement of disciples or of followers. You know, ultimately, followers need to follow, don't they? You know, sheep need, to fo- sheep need to follow their shepherd. So we need to trust and do that. And I suppose there's a, a really important question that comes out of that. Am I clear who my leaders are? So that's the third thing. So be intentional about a Christian life. Imitate leaders. Obey and submit to the authority of leaders. And then fourthly, not being a burden. Not being a, bit a burden. It says in verse 17, Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think I've probably spoken before about the difference it makes in having a mentality about uh, living to please God rather than just living to avoid sin. It just changes the whole perspective. You know, the gospel is not just a gospel of, of sin management, of how we're going to control sin. It empowers us and releases us to live for God. And here, the writer of Hebrews says, make it a joy for somebody to be your leader. And uh, this can work at uh, on many levels. Um, it's kind of one of the things I, I really try to do at work, you know, in my uh, team and in my office at work. Actually, a lot of people don't necessarily have the most positive attitude to, uh, to the boss. 
And uh, how I try to, you know, when it, when it kind of comes around to that time of year where we have to have an appraisal and everyone else is m- kind of grumbling about having to fill in this form and do the appraisal, I just kind of get on with it. I try, rather than just kind of complaining about the team, I try to be proactive in my suggestions to my boss. I kind of volunteer for stuff. I don't wait for him to initiate things. I uh, initiate meetings with him. Actually, I try to make it easy to be my manager. And, uh, and similarly, there's a call here for us to make it easy for our leader, for our cell leader, to be our leader. And verse 17 is clear. This comes through obedience and submission. So in other words, not going through the motions, not just kind of coasting along, not making excuses. You know, Pastor I've talked before only about kind of lots of little no's make one big no. You know, we can all come up with excuses. It's interesting. Some things are excuses for some people and not for others. When, um, when you hear some cell members talk, it kind of sounds like they, they, they think that, uh, that their cell leaders don't have children or don't have busy jobs or don't have jobs to do or don't get tired or don't get sick and things like that. Actually, we, we all get do those things and get those things. But actually, what is an excuse for some isn't an excuse for others. And, and leading cells requires more time and effort than just being part of one and just coming. And, um, you know, we try to have an attitude of, of participation, of n- that non-participation is not an, offering, uh, an option, that our default answer is yes. You know, so when it comes around to that time of year where the, the kind of G12 conference is on in Windsor, like, we don't have to think, oh, should we go this year? Oh, I'm not sure. How did you find it last year? We, you know, it's, well, we go. That's what we do. It's an interesting, and I think lots of other leaders are like that. It's an interesting question. Are they like that because they're leaders, or are they leaders because they have that position and that attitude? So the writer says, don't be a burden. You know what? People who are unbelievers, people who are new Christians can be hard work. It's a bit like having a new baby. You know, there's all sorts of stuff to unravel and unpick and uh, attitudes to change. And, uh, and I, I think, actually, those of us who've been a Christian a few years shouldn't be that kind of hard work. And I'm not talking about not sharing our challenges or our difficulties. I guess I'm saying let's get in faith for our challenges and our difficulties. Let's pray for the breakthrough. Let's not just wait for somebody else to pray for me. Let's us pray and engage. I think for me, this kind of sense of um, not being a burden, you know, if we have challenges or maybe if we have challenges with something somebody has said or something somebody has do, done, rather than saying, I didn't like what you did, what you said was wrong, that we can go and say, can you help me understand what you said? I, that was really interesting what you did there. Can you help me understand it? To go with questions rather than statements is a really easy way to make your cell leader's life a joy and not a burden. So let's, let's not just come with, with problems all the time. Often the people who only ever see problems usually end up being problems. Let me ask you a question. Would you want to be your cell leader? Or to look at it another way, would you want to disciple people who respond like you? So there we go, four principles for discipleship, being intentional about our Christian life, imitating our leaders, obeying and submitting to the authority of leaders, and not being a burden. These, I think, highlight the difference or help us to move from maybe being members to being a church of disciples. And if we're actually going to be a church of disciples, it is down to all of us. It's all our responsibility. But I think one of the, the really helpful thing about these verses here is that they are not just instructions for disciples or for followers. They're not just instructions for, you know, the people in the, the seats and not the people on the stage. They, they are challenging for disciples, but they are no less challenging for disciple makers. And so I'm going to briefly look at the instructions that we find in here for leaders. And in, in doing that, I'm, I'm not just kind of, you know, speaking to the the dozen or so people in this room who, you know, have some sort of leadership position. I'm talking about all of us. 
You know, let's remember again, the, the writer of Hebrews isn't just talking to the people who are elders or overseers. He's talking about people with spiritual authority who have spiritual influence in people's lives. And that is all of us. It certainly should be all of us. The great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples, make them, baptize them, make disciples, and then teach them to do what I have taught you. In other words, those disciples need to go and make disciples. So intrinsic to being a disciple is being a leader, is being somebody who can make disciples, is multiplying that discipleship. So, you know, it's a fundamental key thing about our vision that everyone can and everyone is called to be a leader. It's just intrinsic to discipleship. So I'm going to look at instructions for disciple makers. But like I said, these are instructions for all of us. And the first one is speak the word. So in verse 7, it says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Speak the word. Disciple makers speak the word. The word of God is our source of authority. It is something we can have confidence in. If our goal is to make disciples of Jesus, why would we use anything else but the word of God? I remember talking to Martin Dunkley, uh, him talking about, I think when he was a fairly uh, young leader, he was being mentored by his pastor, and uh, they kind of went, I think they were in a, a, another nation, and they were kind of going to talk to maybe a group of pastors or to do a Q&A. And just before they went into the room, Martin's pastor turned to him and said, listen, in that room, I do not want to hear what you think I'm not interested in your opinion or your ideas. I am only interested in what the Word of God says. I don't want to hear what you think. I want to hear what the Word of God says. Sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? He said, listen, these people can't eat based off what you think. These people don't get saved by your opinions or your ideas, only by the Word of God. So we need to, as leaders, speak the Word. It is credible. It contains the power to carry out the instruction we find in it. And there's something here about us as leaders having the whole counsel of God in us, not just knowing some key Bible verses to use in times of trouble, but getting the word in me. I'm, I'm, I'm so um, blessed by, you know, kind of following on from that, that kind of moment that I had where early on in my Christian life, where I reckon I need to take this seriously. You know, I made a number of kind of lifestyle changes in my life to help me respond to that. And, uh, and in that time, in about the year after that, I kind of I read and I studied the word. I kind of I made notes on, you know, everything that I read. And I've spent, you know, a number of years kind of reading the word and studying the word and getting it inside me. And you know what? That I am, every day I live off that investment that I've, I've made. You know, when things are going well, that's good. But, you know, when things are tough, I'm, I'm still drawing on the wells of the word of God that have been put in me. So it's important that we get that word. We've got to know it if we're going to speak it. The command is speak it. If we're going to speak it, we've got to know it so we can have the right word in the right situation. And it's important that we appreciate the power and the authority of the word of God, that we can be unapologetic about bringing the word into situations. It's really helpful. Like I was saying there about that, the, the verse to, to submit to the authority of your leaders. This isn't like me against you, or if you've got a problem with that, you know, you shouldn't have a problem with me. You should have a problem with the Word of God because that is the source of authority. It's the Word that is clashing with you, not me. So speak the Word. The second thing is about leading by example. Leading by example. People are encouraged to imitate the faith of their leaders. And for me, kind of one of the, the kind of key definitions of spiritual leadership is being someone others want to be like being someone others want to be like. Can I see it in, in some of Paul's writings as well? In 1 Corinthians 4.16, he writes to the Corinthians and says, I urge you to imitate me. Writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So as leaders, we need to let people into our lives so they can see us follow Jesus. Not just hear about it, but to see it. What they need to hear about, like we were saying before, is why we're doing what we're doing. Why? What is the faith behind what we do? People need to see it and they need to hear about it. So we need to lead by example, to give a, a, a positive commentary, to understand the process going on uh, in me. Again, I was really helped um, by Martin Dunkley, really helped me with this. Uh, I remember uh, going out to um, 
going out for a coffee with Martin or something like that. And I thought it was just a really nice catch-up. But he clearly had an agenda and things he wanted to talk to me about. And I'm kind of, you know, I, I sort of had this attitude that, you know, on, on kind of lots of levels, I'm fairly self-contained. You know, I'm, I sort of wouldn't describe myself as being kind of particularly needy. I can kind of keep things under control and take things in my stride. And I thought, this is a really kind of good thing for, for leadership. This is a really good attribute. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are positives by it. But Martin really kind of helped me to see, you know, he said, look, I've got a group of guys around me, and they need to understand what's going on inside me. A, they, so that they can help me and support me, but they need to understand my thinking and my reasoning and why I'm doing what I'm doing. They need to hear my commentary on my life. That's part of discipleship. And I find that really helpful, that actually part of leading by example is giving that understanding of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So it's not necessarily a benefit being all self-contained. So faith is acted upon. Faith is something that is seen in actions, but it's important that we understand the underlying faith, which is about God and his word. And so, you know, it's a great thing. Sometimes, um, you know, I sort of say to life, oh, that was really interesting what you did. Why did you do that? Or, you know, kind of trying to understand what's going on behind the the scenes or under the surface there. And this is a really important principle with unbelievers as well. You know, um, it's great being showing kindness and being a blessing to people who don't know Christ. But it's really important that they know we're not doing that just because we are nice people. We're doing that because of of the, the transformational work that God has done in my life. We're doing that because we want to build a bridge because you know, just as we are serving you, Christ wants to serve you and to forgive your sins. So, um, you know, random act of kindness, good, but unless there's an opportunity to explain why we are doing what we are doing, it just looks like we are good people. So that's the second thing, lead by example. First, speak the word. Secondly, by example. Thirdly, take responsibility seriously. Take responsibility seriously. Verse 17, the right talks about their authority and keeping watch as men who must give an account. And there is a sense, you know, how Jesus talked about the, the, the hired hand flees when the wolf comes, but the shepherd cares for the sheep. There's a sense here of being shepherds. And it expresses the, the, the serious responsibility there is in being a leader. Sometimes I think people can think, oh, yeah, being in leadership, that's really glamorous, isn't it? You know, you could uh, put your weight around and all that sort of thing. You know, the writer here makes it very clear. This is hard work. This is serious stuff. You know, do you think it's tough having to, to submit and obey? You know, how about on the other side where you have to give uh, account to your own leader and to God? You know, our responsibility is as far as, well, you know, I have to do what I'm asked to do. But that person who's asked me to do it, you know, they're going to have to give an account for what they have to do. They're going to have to answer to Almighty God for what they've asked. You know, we just have to, you know, answer for whether we've done it or not. But there's a real kind of weight of responsibility here for leaders, to God, to our own leaders, to those we serve on behalf of. Responsibility requires accountability. Responsibility requires accountability. It's a serious kind of undertaking to be a leader. So some of the ways we can take our responsibility seriously, you know, one of the kind of basic things is about praying for people, praying for people who we have some kind of spiritual authority over us, praying for people in our cell, praying for people, those we want to be in our cell, praying for those we are reaching out to and we want to speak the word of God. Pray for people. So just, you know, just as we encourage us to do for our own life, kind of reflect on the, those around us. How are they doing? What can I do? What can I add? You know, say, Lord, what is it that I need to speak? What's the word that I need to bring to that person today? To talk to them about their walk and offer to help. I think there is something about not just going through the motions, not just putting on self-meetings, but really investing in people's lives and actively exercising authority. So spiritual authority is a spiritual resource to use. It will do people good when you speak to them with authority. And just in the way that, you know, that preaching is, is altogether different from just public speaking because we're preaching the word of God with authority and with anointing. Similarly, kind of being a cell leader and investing in people is different to you know, being a line manager or a clinical supervisor at work or anything like that you know, because there is spiritual anointing and authority 
in it, and it's important that we appreciate that. So that's the third thing, take our responsibility seriously. And finally, serve with joy, serve with joy. So the writer of Hebrews encourages the people to make the, the, uh, the work of the leaders a joy, not a burden. And it's important that we take responsibility as leaders for that because leaders are, are, are vulnerable. Leaders make themselves a target. You know, the, the, the level to which we all need to guard our hearts and take our thoughts captive, that's ramped up when you step into leadership, when you kind of say, I'm going to do something for God here. And so it's important that we appreciate that leaders are vulnerable. And we know that relationships are a major target of attack for the enemy. I remember a couple of years ago when we were starting Grow, because we were all, uh, we all friends, all of us who are parents were all friends, it felt like every time we kind of met and we prayed, we prayed about our relationships because we recognized, actually, this is really important. We need to protect these relationships so that in doing this faith venture together, actually, the enemy doesn't allow any kind of argument or, uh, or kind of division between us so that we maintain our friendship in this. Relationships are a major target of attack for the enemy. So it's really important that we don't allow ourselves to become burdened by being a leader to people. You know, it is a privilege to be a pastor. It is a privilege. So we shouldn't lose this sense of joy. It shouldn't become a chore. We should be a good advert for leadership by taking our thoughts captive, by guarding our hearts, by continuing to press in to God. So let me recap, and then we're going to pray. We started by talking, setting the context from John 6 about, essentially, do we want to be recipients, just those who receive, consumers, or do we want to be participants? Not just about, you know, working in church, but about participating in Christ and in his life. Then we looked at some practical responses from the book of Hebrews about being intentional about our Christian life, imitating our leaders, about obeying and submitting to the authority of leaders, about not being a burden. And then we've talked about those who are going to be disciple makers, who are going to step up to the plate, to speak the word, to lead by example, to take our responsibility seriously, and to serve by joy. And in response, really, we, I just come back to the question Clive asked last week. Do I want to to be a member or do I want to be a disciple? Do I want to be a recipient or do I want to be a participant? Ask us to stand to pray. The first thing that I'd like us to do, um, if it's appropriate, is... Just actually, if, if this morning in uh, what I've been sharing and what God's been doing, there has been um, any sense of conviction on you, then uh, just going to have an opportunity to really uh, repent and say sorry to God for that. And actually, I'm not just talking about uh, those of us who are following that actually maybe we haven't um, done this or we haven't kind of been submissive or we've been our own man but actually for us as leaders as well, where we've been coasting and going through the motions or where leadership has become a burden and a chore instead of a joy. Whatever it is that God has provoked you about, let me encourage you to give that to God, to say sorry. You know, there's been a sense of this past couple of months of, in terms of the prophetic word that God gave to us at the end of July, just being a sense of amnesty. You know, in an amnesty, you just bring things you shouldn't have and you dump them and there's no, there's no comeback. You know, you, when the police have an amnesty, you can take your weapons to the police station and you know that you're not going to get charged with anything. And I, I feel like it's really important that we understand, you know, in the, this is a time of amnesty. In terms of, you know, confessing, actually, uh, my attitude hasn't been great, whether it's my attitude to my leader my attitude to the people in my cell, that this is a time of amnesty. And saying that, we're not giving anyone a big stick to hit us with. We're saying, Lord, would you forgive me? 
Lord, where, where I look into the, the mirror of your word and I find myself falling short, would you forgive me? So if that's you, let me encourage you, just, you know, under your voice or in your heart, just to be very specific with God about what you want to say sorry for. you receive God's forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness. Where we confess our sins, where we bring the baggage to God, where we bring things in amnesty, receive God's forgiveness. It's been dealt with. It's been paid. There's nothing to feel guilty about. Let God cleanse your conscience your minds and your hearts. Receive forgiveness today in the name of Jesus. Be released from that burden. Actually, I feel this morning there are people here who are carrying pain from the past, pain from past relationships, past, whether it's been people with spiritual authority in our lives, maybe you've stepped out and tried to lead people and you've ended up going getting hurt and burnt. Listen, things can go wrong, but that doesn't mean we have to bring the wrong response. And Lord, where there are people in that situation who are carrying wounds from the past, we pray release in the name of Jesus. We pray that wound would be healed in Jesus' name. We want to pray where anything has got in through offense, through scandal, through abuse, through hurt. God, we want to say to that demonic influence that got in, go in the name of Jesus. The past has been forgiven. The past has been healed. There is no place for you here anymore. So go in Jesus' name. We pray for release, for healing in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to pray for forgiveness where there has been murmuring and where there has been criticism. Lord, would you, would you forgive us, Lord? Would you forgive us? In Jesus' name. I want to labor this. You know, this is really, really important. So it's important that we just give God a bit of space and a bit of time to bring things into the light, to speak to us where there is a a response still to be made this morning. encourages you know this is not just about it's not about individuals to individuals this is about our response to God's church you know that church that he takes personally that church that he identifies with that church that is his body and, and whether it's us as leaders and how we respond or whether it's us as individuals and how we respond to those God's put in authority. This is not about you, this person, and that person. This is about us and God's church. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that if there is there is wrong thinking and wrong expectations, just like those, those disciples who were offended when you spoke to them, Lord, would you renew our thinking? Would you change us? Would you help us to take thoughts captives would you help us to do warfare in our minds and our hearts over this lord god would you not allow 
relationships to be damaged, Lord God, where, where the church is supposed to display to the powers and the authorities and the spiritual realms the wisdom of God. Lord, we do not want to demonstrate the standards of this world to the people around us. We don't want to demonstrate the, the hurts and the hang-ups of the, the sheep without shepherd that we see around us, Lord God. We want to demonstrate the wisdom of God. We want to demonstrate the unity of the Trinity. We want to demonstrate the glory of God in our lives and in our church. Help us to do this, Lord. And Lord, Lord, would you help us to be a church of disciples? Would you help us to have this discipleship culture in our church? Would you help each and every one of us in this room right now to see our responsibility in responding to this call? That the only way we can be a church of disciples is if each and every one of us is a disciple, not a member. Lord, I pray that you continue to help us, to provoke us, where we need to make changes in our life. Would you give us the courage to do that? Would you give us the faith to respond to the prompting of your word and your spirit, Lord? Thank you, Lord. we thank you today that disciples are the most radical earth-changing world-impacting people there can ever be thank you 12 of them turn the world upside down and lord you're calling all of us to this same path this same way of walking with jesus to be a truly hand-in-hand life-given-over follower of the lord jesus and lord thank you that is world-changing for us, and it's world-changing for the world. And Lord, we pray, Lord, you will move in our hearts, give us faith, desire, and the ability to walk in your ways. Lord, where we are not where we ought to be, we go back to what you started the meeting with, Lord. We can speak faith into our lives by speaking out the very thing we're not. Lord, we say, let the, let the poor say, I am rich. Lord, whatever we're poor in, we can say, Lord, I am rich in potential towards you. Lord, I can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. I can do more with my prayer and Bible reading. I can witness a whole heap better for you because you are with me and you're in me. And Lord, there's more to come. There's greater to come because of the power of Jesus working in me. Lord, thank you, disciples. Do that. They, they follow after Jesus. They pick themselves up. They go on. They're pressing on towards the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that's where we want to be in you today. And Lord, we thank you that you are calling us down this road and you're not letting us off with some lesser walk. Lord, we want the best from you. And Lord, we know you want to give the best and draw the best from us. So Lord, we bless you today for your word. And we stand together, Lord, as your church of disciples. Lord, raise us all up. Help us to encourage one another in these things to call forth discipleship from one another lord when we see each other flagging or waning or just getting a bit cold or lukewarm help us to to breathe some passion back into one another to encourage one another on the way so come on disciple walk with us talk with us be with us fellowship with us go with us because together we're walking a great walk here and uh, doing a great work for god lord we can so encourage this in one another Lord, we pray you'll breathe your life into us this week. Lord, again, I just speak over the church as we, we heard earlier, as Elisha stretched out on that body that was dead three times until the life of God returned. Lord, we want to keep stretching out. We want to keep speaking out until the life, until the breath, until the spirit returns. And Lord, we speak that over ourselves this week, Lord, that we can and will be people of good confession, people who will reach out and stretch out until we see God break through. And Lord, I pray this week for everyone here now, a blessing of breaking through. 
Lord, I pray your breakthrough in these needs, finances needs, healing, uh, health needs, Lord, relationship needs, growth needs, discipleship needs. Lord, I just uh, speak over these things. Lord, even as Andy was sharing earlier, work-based needs, family needs. God, there are many situations, Lord, but we declare the Lord is victorious over them all. He's already ridden out, risen out, ridden out to conquer, Lord, and we stand with you now, Lord, that you will conquer everything that you come up against. And Lord, we are with you and you are with us. And Lord, we bless you this week for these things you're going to overcome. And right now, Lord, we confess victories in our week. Lord, things that we've partially conquered or not conquered before this week, we believe we're going to see breakthrough and conquest in those different areas. Lord, I speak again to those finances. Be conquered in the name of Jesus. I speak again to those sicknesses. Be healed in the name of Jesus. To those relationship difficulties, be restored in the name of Jesus. Lord, and for the fire and the passion of spiritual life in you to be stirred up again in us this week. Lord, let us see the breakthrough in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.